you might want to start exploring, okay, what are ways I could put this money to work for me where it's making me some sort of money? And you need to know what your risk tolerance is and whatever chapter of life you're at. And if you are not in a position where it's easy to have a machine that makes you more money, you might want to start there because Mm -hmm. frankly, giving money up to someone, there's always going to be some sort of risk there. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential, learn about passive real estate investing so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Hey, investors, welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am sitting down with Mike Abramowitz. Now, Mike, after the 2008 crash, was $130,000 in debt, lost three properties that he was renting out, was near bankrupt with a 400 credit score. Now, here we are more than 10 years later. He's an accredited investor. He's recovered from those losses and is here to leverage the lessons that he's learned to help educate others along this journey. So Mike, we're really excited to have you here to share your story. Yeah, thanks for having me, Justin. Excited to support where I can. Yeah, so tell us about your investing experience. So, you know, like I mentioned in the intro, you lost a couple of properties during the 08 crash. Were those your first few properties? Did you have a bigger portfolio or how did you really start out into the investing space? So I witnessed my dad, he was a plumber, but he had like 20 something properties when I was like real, real little. And then he sold them all at like the worst time he possibly could sell them. So my whole life, I was just like, yeah, I'm going to retire when I'm 40. I'm going to be a millionaire, you know, what little kids say. So when I was 20, there was an opportunity to buy my first home. So the I was, uh, this is shoot, 2005. So 2005, I was 20 years old. And there was a new construction home outside of the college in Tampa, University of South Florida, where I live. And it was 160 grand. I had saved up. I had my bar mitzvah money. I had some income from selling Cutco as a college kid. So put down six to the 16 grand, so 10% down. And then everyone was getting a mortgage back then. So it was easy to get a loan. And I bought my first house. So it was new construction. And then as it was going up, I was like renting out the roommates. I was doing house hacking before house hacking was cool. And it was really cool. Like at, at one point, the property was at 230. And I was like, this is awesome. Should I just sell this now and you know, cash out? And gosh, if, if I only, right? So then I took some money. My mom passed when I was 20 and I had a life insurance settlement. So I took another like 20 grand from that life insurance settlement and got a second condo. And that was in Naples, Florida. And that one was like 190,000 or something like that. And then it went up to about that same 230 mark. I was like, oh, I should flip this thing now and get that would have been another 40. But you know, I was like, no, I'm going to just ride this thing out. And then there was another third property when I was in 2006, in 2007, that was going up for auction. And I was able to get it at the right time and no money down, got that property and just took over the mortgage payment. That was killer because the mortgage payment on that was only like 600 bucks a month because it was pretty much paid off. So I had these three properties. I was renting out the rooms, running this thing as a college kid, and it was fantastic until it wasn't. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And that's how, that's how I got started. I could fill in the rest of the story of what happened in 2008, but that's that's essentially the starting point. Yeah. And so you're, you're really, I mean, honestly, crushing it in this game, especially relative to your experience and your age. I mean, things are going real well, of course. 
know, 2008 comes around and, and you end up losing the properties. How did you recover from that? Because, you know, I always love to talk to guys like you who are still in the game after 2008. You really graduated that, that big recession because it took a lot of people out of the game. So how did you get the motivation to, to keep going and after this really wiped you out? So I would say I'm still not going full tilt as much as I have in the past because I have different responsibilities. Now I'm 38. I have a wife. I have a son. You know, he's, he's two and a half years old. And it's, it's a little different chapter of life than I was at when I was 20 and reckless and could lose money if I needed to. And I could just always make more money back. But I feel like there's a version of me that still feels that way. But the recovery took place in, in the valley was when I continued to learn. So I was reading books on not just real estate investing, but like Coffee House Investor was a book. I read Tony Robbins, Money Master of the Game and Unshakable. I read Money Honey by Rachel Richards. We had her on our podcast too. She's a fantastic guest. And just reading these different books, I'm looking at my bookshelf to see if like I remember <laughs> a few other titles, but I mean, I was just devouring information, just learning. So that way, when the time comes, I'll be positioned and be able to do whatever I choose to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I really probably about maybe 2015 or so, I started maybe 2013. I started learning the infinite banking strategy by Nash. Yeah. And uh, that was that was a strategy that I, I use to, to, to this day. So I was a little bit nervous about investing and putting money into a life insurance policy because I'm like, you know, as soon as I give them the money, I lose money. That doesn't sound like a really good investment. Yeah. But but I knew it was a longer term play. So after I put money into like the Roth IRA, the retirement account, and I put some money into the brokerage accounts and whatnot, then I then I funded my cash value policy. And now I just borrow against from that policy mm -hmm. and put that money into syndication deals. So that's that's as far as in, into the game I am. So I have two hard money lending deals that I, I've given. One is at 35 grand, one is at 50 grand. I have another syndication deal at 25K, a second syndication deal at 25K. And then I have, I could go through the rest of the portfolio, but these are just a, a couple of like the real estate deals Big specific. One. Yeah. Those are, those yeah. are the real estate deals. Then there's like 50 over here. There's another 25 over here. Yeah. Then like a real estate investment trust, the REIT, you know, with Fundrise, it has like 15 grand. But so I, I try to be as diversified as possible to protect mm -hmm. myself and hedge against the 2008. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know what I didn't know, you know? Yeah, of course. And a lot of people didn't know what was coming up in NOA. So, so you mentioned, I think, it's, I don't want to skip over because a lot of people, I think when they hear about your, your whole life insurance policies, and that's how you're funding these deals. I think a lot of people are kind of like, they're sitting there waiting, like, okay, when are you going to tell us what that is? You know, like, like let's, let's dive into that a little bit because that's how you're funding actually a good amount of these deals, these syndications, these funds. So can you give us a, an overview of what that looks like and, you know, essentially how you're leveraging that? Yeah, I'll give the I'll give the very elementary school version because yeah. that's about yes. as far that's as about as far as I can go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am yeah. not an insurance broker. I am not a professional by any means, but I studied this because it didn't click for me. It's mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. So I'm gonna give you 15 grand and get nothing back until nine years from now. Like that sucks. Yeah. You know, like that's kind of the way it's positioned. But what I'm doing, I, I bought an insurance policy. I don't need the insurance policy, but what happens is I can borrow against the cash value that grows inside the policy. So if I put, I, I initially put 15 grand in, that's absolutely right. I don't get that 15 grand back for probably about nine years where I don't like I get my recoup, my initial investment, but then it's like a one-to-one. -one. I put a dollar in and I get a dollar out in cash value over the course of those nine years. So it just is a savings account. That's all it is. 
So my, I treat my insurance policy as a savings account. So I have my Bank of America checking account, and then I have my cash value insurance policy savings account. Sure. So I put money in there. Why? Because number one, it grows at an average of about 4% for me. Mm-hmm. So it grows at about an average of 4%, but it doesn't get interrupted. So right now I have, so I put in 50 grand in cash. I had 50 grand in cash value. I put 25 grand into those two syndication deals that I mentioned. Well, the 50 grand is still growing inside the insurance policy. So it's growing at 4% inside the insurance policy while it's also growing at an eight to 12%, let's call it in those other deals. Then I have my own business. So as I make money with my business, I then put money back into my cash value policy to replenish that account. Got that account back up to another 50 grand. I took 50 grand and put it into a hard money lender deal, which pays me 8%. So now the cash value policy is valued at a hundred grand. So it's growing at 4% at a hundred grand, but it's working over here in three different places, one at 8% and these other two at somewhere around that 12% range while also making me 4% in my savings account while it's not interrupted. So that's, that's how it's just be, I'm, I'm my own banker. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially the way it's positioned. Now I do pay a loan. So there is a small fee that I pay, but that loan comes back to me. So it's not going <laughs> to a bank. So I'm just like, I do pay it myself like $1,200 a year in interest, but I'm the bank. So it's just coming back to me yeah. that I'll have it's, in the it's future. It's crazy, you know, like, and I think that explanation is great because it really is so in-depth the strategies you can use. Essentially, for very layman's terms, it allows you to double dip in your money, right? Because it grows in in two areas that it's being used, both in the account, the life insurance account, and then also in the deals that you put it in. So yes, it can get pretty sophisticated and you really have to dive into that topic to be comfortable with it. But from a 10,000 foot view, yeah, it's a great way to double dip on your cash and, and keep your money moving at a higher velocity. Chris Larson helped me a ton simplify it and break it down. He's a, he runs the Next Level Income Show. He has a podcast. He has a great book. But he he we had him on our podcast. Great resource for anybody who wants to like learn more about like how to simplify the yeah. the insurance thing. He he was a really great help on that. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, that's a phenomenal resource. So I want to talk about you know a lot of people who listen to the show. They want to learn as much as they can about the passive stuff, the REITs, the funds, the syndication, stuff that you've done, you know, a good amount of. So when you're investing in these types of deals, are you investing in them? Because you have an experience as an active investor, having your own properties. What's the biggest kind of benefit of these funds and syndications to you? Are you looking for something that's totally passive? Are the returns better than what you're seeing with other things? Or what's kind of driving you to those strategies more? given your experience as an active investor as well. For me is, is I don't want to dedicate time in exchange for the money. So the, that's how I'm defining passive. So I define passive is I just give you money and none of my time. And then my money works for me without me working for that money. So like, that's the way I define it. So I had right now, what's popular is like these hard money loans. Now, granted, they could be risky because what is it backed by? You know, like I just gave, I just gave a friend of mine, she wanted a hard money loan. So he negotiated the terms. I negotiated 12% and I wanted a promissory note. And also I wanted to put back up her, her property just in case. And she's a friend of mine. So we have her, her residential house backed up with a promissory note and 12% in exchange for my 35 K that I gave her and no prepayment penalty. This is what we negotiated. No prepay. So if she wants to pay me back earlier, no problem. I'll just take that money and put it into another deal. And then she has to pay me back within 18 months. 
And if not, then it's an 18% after that 18 months. So that way I could get my recoup my principal as fast as possible and then reinvest it into another deal or we can renegotiate. So I just did that one like two weeks ago. Okay. No, no, I take that back. That was four weeks ago because she just gave me my first check. So that first check, I just got 350 bucks. So that 35 grand, instead of sitting in, but well, actually that 35 grand, that's another example. It was in my cash value life insurance policy. So instead of it sitting in, but I should say this, I took out a life insurance policy for my wife and I borrowed against her policy for this loan because Mm -hmm. mine was already capped out because you're only max, you could have a maximum amount of dollars that you could put. So I created another policy for my wife and I borrowed against that one. Just a little asterisk there. But so I borrowed money from Hawaii's insurance policy. And then I got $350 this month instead of that 35 grand sitting in any other account. It was sitting in the life insurance policy and the cash value. And that is now making, you know, 350 bucks here. And I guess so 350 bucks from her. Then I got this guy, Adam, who pays me 333 a month at 8% in exchange for my 50K that he has. So that's 333 over here, 350 from her. These two syndication deals, they usually trickle in somewhere around maybe 200 bucks. But then when the properties sell, then I'll get like, you know, a larger lump of sum or something like that. I'm not super familiar with the syndication, but I just like these couple hundred bucks coming in. Yeah. Without me doing anything. That's significant, right? Because, okay, you're getting 200, 300 bucks here and there across a couple of deals. Okay, now you're starting to make up some rent payments, especially if you have some kids in college and you know you got to come up next show six, seven hundred, eight hundred bucks. I mean, that's significant to cover a lot of these expenses. And then in a lot of your deals, you know, you're going to have actual equity payments at the end, along with the syndication as well. Correct. And and, so, and, that, and that's that's the part where I'm I haven't experienced that just yet. Like I haven't experienced the payouts because I it took me a journey. I mean. I had to wait seven years. I had deficiency judgments against me for seven years where if I made too much money, then these banks could take their, take their money back. I had, I had, you know, six figures in deficiency judgments against me. So it took me a little bit of time to repair my credit and get my money where I needed it to be, to be, you know, kind of safe in that regard. Yeah. And so when you are looking at these, these deals, let's, let's focus on the syndications for now, because it sounds like the hard money there, there may be more personal connections or people that you've known. When you're looking at the syndication, where you're actually giving money to a group, and depending on who you are, your relationship to that group could be a personal friend or family member, or it could be a totally new group that you just learn about on on Bigger Pocket or something like that. How did you go through that process of vetting the deals that you wanted to invest in? Like, what were you looking for, and what were some of the red flags you were looking for that disqualified some groups or deals? Sure. The two that I have right now, one is an apartment complex in Myrtle Beach. And I felt like, number one, it was a really beautiful location. I think it's a destination location. And I think renting an apartment is, especially the way the housing market is kind of moving, people are going to be more inclined to rent than own, in my opinion, in that market. So I felt aligned with that type of deal. Mm -hmm. There was another deal that was a car wash. I didn't align with that. I, I just like, Car washes are on every corner. It wasn't something that was appealing for me. So I don't know anything about a car wash. I just know that it just didn't feel aligned. So I just didn't invest in the car wash deal. And then there was another deal that was a mobile home park deal, which again, I think low cost housing is something that is not going away anytime soon. So I put another 25 grand into that mobile home park that they were, that was a syndication deal because I aligned with it. There was another one that I didn't do, but I would have, but I couldn't access the capital in time. And there was also minimums on it that I couldn't meet. That one was storage units. Okay. And I really aligned with that one because I figured if homeowners are not going to be able to, you know, if the the interest rate is like 
six percent, seven percent, and they people can't refinance and they can't afford, and then the job markets collapse, and they're gonna have to like put all their they're gonna have to downsize mm-hmm. and put all their stuff into some places. And I'm like, all right, well, storage units might be a good investment. So that's probably gonna be my next deal would mm-hmm. be storage units. I just really allow the philosophy there. And yeah. is that the truth? I don't know. It's just my <laughs> my philosophy. And and that's what I think is important for you know how I how I navigate where I'm going to put the money. Yeah, I think solar is a really good you know place. I have I just put another 25 into a solar deal. That's not a, that's not a syndication, but it's just putting money to work. And yeah. I think and it was a little bit more risky. Putting but money towards things that you personally believe in, right? Yeah, and that's why I think a lot of people kind of start out at that residential in some fashion, whether it's you know Airbnbs or apartments or or you know low low income housing. Because you kind of get that, right? You can wrap your head around, hey, people need a place to live. I've lived in apartments. You know, you probably know people who continue to live in apartments. So it makes a lot of sense. So even if, you know, at the end of the day, deals and, and underwriting and investment, it's both art and science, right? So there's a little bit of art to it. You have to be comfortable with the asset itself. It has to align with you personally. Um, and it just has to make sense for you. Otherwise, you probably won't be able to really understand what you're looking at or how you're going to get your money out of this thing. So you're using a little bit of intuition on it as well. You you like these asset classes. Is that how you fi- you whittled it down first? Did you say, hey, I want these asset classes, and then you investigated operators within those verticals, or do, were you looking at operators first and said, hey, a lot of these people are in asset classes that I like. Let me explore that path. As much as I would love to have a sophisticated response, I don't have one for you. I listen to people and just follow their steps. So like Justin Donald, a lifestyle investor, he has an awesome book. I, I devoured his book. We had him on our podcast. He just has great insights. Uh, so I was like, all right, I'll listen to you. I trust he, he's. I trust that he's already done a lot of the research. Chris yeah. Larson, who I already mentioned, Rachel Richards, who I already mentioned, some of these people that I just trust that they've already done some of the research. And I listen to podcasts every day at the gym. So I'm at the gym five week and I'm listening to podcasts nonstop. I have tons of books I read. And so, yeah, there's a, there's some intuition, but it, I, I wouldn't give it to my, I wouldn't give myself that much of a compliment. I think the intuition okay. is to learn more yeah. so than I know the right way or this is what I should do. And it's a little, it could be unsettling. I mean, list, here's the thing. This, here's what I say to anybody listening right now. Number one, if you're sitting on capital and it's not working for you, here's what I would ask you. Number one, is it bothering you that it's not work, working for you? Like, is there, is there a bother in your mind? Like, and the, the answer might be no. It's like, no, I actually feel secure. I feel safe. I like having that money and that's fine. If it, if the answer is yes, it's bothering me that it's just sitting in an account, not working for me. If that's the case, then you might want to start exploring. Okay. What are ways I could put this money to work for me where it's making me some sort of money? And you need to know what your risk tolerance is and, and whatever chapter of life you're at. And if you are not in a position where it's easy to have a machine that makes you more money, you might want to start there. Because mm-hmm. frankly, giving money up to someone, there's always going to be some sort of risk there. If you put it in the market, yeah, you, you the, the, there's the risk and maybe it'll, it'll eventually bounce back. I truly believe that. I have you know six figures in the market. I know it'll bounce back, but like, you got to keep that in mind. Like there is, there is a little bit of risk. So number one, I would say is if you have the savings, is it bothering you that it's not making money for you? No, don't worry. Yes. Let's get it to work for you in some way, shape or form. Maybe it's a 4%, maybe an 8%, maybe 10% or 12%. You don't have to go in these crazy things where you're doubling your money up, get a yeah. little small win and get to get a taste. This is my counsel. And yeah. then build a machine that makes you more money. That's the most wow. important thing. 
not these like get a junk of money and then like hopefully you make more money and become rich off that one chunk. Create a machine that makes you more money consistently. Yeah. And I, I like that too, because especially within real estate specifically, you can accomplish different goals. Like there are people who are what I call just playing defense with their money. They want something very stable, very safe. They're okay with a mid to low single digit return because they just want it to work against inflation. They're okay with that. There's other people who are pl- what I call playing offense. They want, how can I double my money as fast as possible? I have a higher risk tolerance. I'm willing to get my hands dirty. I want to go into the neighborhoods where that's possible. And you can accomplish all of those things. So you don't have to do that value add deal. You don't have to do that big 200 unit apartment complex. You can do those small stabilized deals that just give you the risk tolerance, give you the cash flow, and give you the returns that you're comfortable with. I mean, at the end of the day, you, people talk about return on investment, but it becomes return on headache at some point. And if this is going to inter- interfere with your sleep schedule and your stress levels to a certain extent, don't do it that way. And your lifestyle. And, their, and your lifestyle, right? So, and, and one of the things I'll say, Justin, is if you're not willing to go into the valleys that I was in, you might want to explore those valleys. I mean, I'm talking, I, I was eating something called Salsuna. Do you know what Salsuna is, Justin? I, I Salsuna. <laughs> so sal, Salsuna is a, can, is a jar of salsa and a can of tuna because it was high in protein and like it was a little healthier than PB&J. I lived off that thing for a long time living in my own well, single bedroom apartment, you know, because I was, I was broke. I was effing broke. All right. And when you, if you could position yourself to be bootstrapping back up, you might want to explore some of those decisions to try to chase the high ROI and lose your shirt. Are you willing to go through that? Take yourself, your family, your loved ones on that journey with you that if you don't have a, some sort of machine that's making you money and you spend it all and you don't get that deal and you don't get that ROI, are you willing to downsize and start all over again and living off of ramen and PB&Js and like, you know, are you willing to get rid of some of the possessions? I'm not saying, and I, I just, I say it because I lived it and I I did it. I went through it and it's not a hard, I mean, it's not an easy time. It's a, it's a hard season. Yeah. Lashing out, projecting insecurities onto people, especially if you're self-worth is tied to your net worth and you really love to, you know, be the flash and social media and look at me, I'm all cool and shit on social and stuff. Like you got, you got to keep in mind of like, what, it, what, what, what can you tolerate? Not just your risk tolerance, but can you also tolerate the drawbacks of any of the consequences that come from being, you know, a yeah. little bit too risky. And you really shouldn't put yourself in that position. I, I don't think, I mean, it's just, again, us talking about well, our experience and our personalities, you know, I always, of course, the first, the first step in creating that true wealth is to have a good, solid grasp on your income, your ability to make income. A lot of times the best investment is not going to be in a piece of real estate. It might be in yourself, whether that means continuing your education so that you can get those promotions that give you that higher buffer and give you more income that you can invest safely to where, like you said, if you lose your shirt, it's okay. I got a closet full of shirts. I can keep this game going because you know, I have these advanced degrees or I have this, this businesses that give me good cash flow, my primary exactly. income. So, you know, Mike, I love the conversation that we've had. I love guys with your experience who can really talk about, you know, the good side, the bad side, the, the really, really tremendous downsides that you can hit if you're not careful. So what are you up to nowadays? Like what's exciting you now that you're working on? So I'm working towards getting that passive income up to 10 grand a month. So right now we're probably at, let's call it a thousand a month and mm-hmm. passive that's steady. And then these, whenever these syndication deals sell and all that, maybe we'll get a larger return. 
So yeah. I'm just excited about working that up where the money is making 10 grand a month. So that way I know I got six figures working for me without me working. And that's just, that's, that's just happening. Yeah. How I'm funding the deals for that is I mainly help overwhelmed entrepreneurs and help them systemize their businesses. So we, my business partner and I, we have a, a podcast called the better than rich show. And we have a company called Better Than Rich. We have a private Facebook group called Automate, Delegate, Systemize. So essentially, we're helping people, busy entrepreneurs, win back their time. And that's that's our, our niche in the marketplace of just how do we help them win back time, reinvest that time, and then spend the time on what matters most to them. And we find that these busy entrepreneurs, really, a lot of them were really good at sales but they were really, which is transactional, but they weren't really good at operations and systems, which is what real entrepreneurship is. And with 20 years of experience of being as in being in business and my business partner scaled the company from 6 million to 30 million. So we make a really good team. And now we have a, a mission over the next, over the next 20 years is to help busy entrepreneurs reinvest 10 million hours. And 10 million hours is about 1100 years of time. So we have like a little tracker, we leverage, we have a virtual assistant services. So we have our clients yeah. use VAs to win back time using automations like Zapier to win back time. And then when they win back that time, what are they doing with that time? How are they reinvesting that time? Are they doing it to build verticals in their business, create more revenue, do passive income deals, spend time with their family, do contribution. I run a, a charity here in Tampa called PB&J for Tampa Bay, where we provide meals to less fortunate. So we've fed mm -hmm. over a hundred thousand people here. So it's like, you could right. spend time on whatever matters most to you. And that's what's important to us. So we're really fired up about helping this audience of entrepreneurs create that machine that builds up wealth and profits, but also frees up their time so they could reinvest the time of what matters most yeah. to them. Love it. And so how can people get a hold of you to learn a little bit more about that? What's the best way? I think you mentioned a few resources there. I would say if they're interested in virtual assistant services, they could go to va.betterthanrich.com. And that's va.betterthanrich.com. They can set up a free consultation. We'll poke around your business for 30 or 40 minutes with one of our strategists and just see like if there's a value. And if there is, then we could assign you two to three virtual assistants to take care of all of your under $25 per hour activities. So all of your tasks that are admin related, let our team take care of it for you. If you just want a free resource of like learning business systems, they can go to automatedelegatesystemize.com automate delegate systemize.com and it's a free one hour masterclass that is reveals our three epiphanies and those three epiphanies are that you could you could systemize anything in your business how to work on your business versus in your business and then also how to leverage some automation and systems without being any without being tech savvy at all so mm -hmm. it's really really a great masterclass i think they'll get a lot of value just by checking that out Perfect. So listen, we're going to put those resources in the show notes there. You can contact Mike directly and check out all the, all of those resources for you and your business. While you're there, of course, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Justin. Well, that's it for today's show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, the definitive guide to passive real estate strategies, where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.